0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we approach your throne of grace through Jesus Christ who died for us and spilled his blood in order that we might be drawn to you, in order that our sins might be forgiven and that we would have fellowship with you. And we praise you for this afternoon for gathering us here to worship your holy name and to sit under the proclamation of your truth. And we pray, Father, that you would glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, through this word. I pray that you would open up our hearts and, and build fire in our hearts to proclaim your mercies and to proclaim your grace to others, even as we've experienced it, even as we've tasted and we saw that you are good to us. Oh, Lord. I pray that you would speak clearly through me, that you would instruct us in the way we ought to go as individuals and together as a congregation, so that you would be glorified, so that your name would be proclaimed in all creation under heaven. We pray and we ask for your glory. Amen. Well, I invite you to open with me to Psalm 67. For our study in God's Word this afternoon, I was also told just now that our Russian translation is not working. So for those of you who are struggling with your devices, uh, please let them know that the system is down. Translator is here, or interpreter, but the system is down. So do your best to follow along. Psalm 67. As you go there, I want to begin by giving you some stats. Not a big fan of stats, but whenever they're appropriate, I like them. Recently, I came across a study that was published by Rawhide. It's a nonprofit organization uh, that helps youth and their families, and the study showed that over 1,000 selfies are being posted to Instagram every single second. So if you do quick math, that's over 86 and a half million selfies. A day. Now, considering the demographics of our congregation here, I don't think I need to explain what a selfie is. Now, think about this 86 million selfies a day, and that's just on one platform, Instagram. Another study that they cited showed that 82% of adults aged 18 to 34 had taken a selfie of themselves and upload it to social media. They didn't even care to study the teens because it's 100%. Now, for those of you who are older here in our congregation and you think this is an issue with Generation X or Millennial issue, consider this, 80 or 63% of adults aged 35 to 54 also participated in the FAD. And 55 and older, 44% of those, also thought that it was a fun thing to do. Now, one last thing, in 2015, get this, more people died from taking a selfie than from shark attacks. Now, why do I bring this up and why should we care? Um, Are selfies bad in and of themselves? Well, probably not, but I think this is a study. This study here is a good indicator of where we are at as a society, where our culture is today. We live in a very selfie-centered age. Our selfishness, in fact, drove and revolutionized the cell phone industry. If you pull out your cell phone right now, the very reason why you have a front camera on your cell phone is because of selfies. We just wanted to improve the way we take them, help us out a little bit. But in many ways, our generation here is no different than any other generation. In fact, if you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, where Paul instructs Timothy, the pastor of the church, and he tells him, Timothy, listen, bad times are coming. Evil times are coming. And he goes on to characterize the bad and evil age. And the very first thing on that list, the very first characterization of that age is man will be lovers of self. Lovers of self. People will love themselves. This is the heart of sin, to be self-centered rather than focused on the almighty God. As we go to Psalm 67, I think this psalm is a cure For our selfie generation. Why you ask? Well because this is a God-centered psalm. After reading this psalm, you cannot look at yourself and take a photo of yourself. After reading this psalm, it forces you to lift up your eyes above yourself and unto God and others. Now as we get a lay of the land here in psalms, we find ourselves in 67... But Psalm 65 through 68, this group of psalms here, we have a collection that emphasizes God's providence and God's grace towards all the nations. Not just Israel, but to all the Gentile nations. And and Neil read to us Psalm 66 in the opening of our service. Here we have a picture in this psalm. Of both the Jews and the Gentiles gathering together to praise God, and, and as we will read in just a second, we will notice that the word nations is mentioned three times here in the Psalm. The earth is mentioned four times. the The word peoples are mentioned five times here in this psalm. And that is to emphasize that God's grace and God's blessing was not supposed to be retained in just one little subset, one little cluster, one little nation, Israel. It was supposed to go to them and through them to influence all the other nations. And that is why this psalmist is praying this prayer. This psalm here is rooted in the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where he tells him, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse, and in you. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Now please follow along as we read Psalm 67 together. For the choir director with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness. And guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. As we look at this psalm together, I want us to walk away with one simple truth here. And that is this, that God desires to bless us. That we may enjoy him and spread his joy to others. God desires to bless us that we may enjoy God and spread this joy to others. To help us unpack this, this uh, psalm here further, let's consider this, de- this uh, text in detail and just I'll focus on two simple points this afternoon. And if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Number one, we should see God's blessing. Because he desires to bless us. We should seek God's blessing. Because he desires to bless us. The psalmist opens up. And he says. God be gracious to us. This is a prayer. This is a plea. To receive something that that they didn't deserve. Israel here. Realized. Realized that they were in desperate need of God's grace. God, be gracious to us. Put yourself in their shoes. Go back to the Old Testament and consider why they're praying this prayer. Throughout their history, God had every reason to destroy the entire nation, to wipe them off the face of the earth because of their disobedience, and to begin with a new person, to begin with a new group. God could have chosen Moab or Philistines or any other nation and said, I'm going to forget these guys and I'm going to move on with a new group. He didn't. Remember what happened in Exodus. Right when they were taken out of Egypt, they were brought to the mountain of Sinai and they're there. Moses is getting instruction and Aaron and all the people are collecting jewelry to build a God for themselves. And as God over there instructing Moses... He tells Moses in 32 verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, they're an obstinate people. Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I, I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. So there's the dilemma. People have sinned right in front of their God. But, but Moses entreated the Lord in verse 11, his God and said, O oh Lord, Why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with an evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. And then look where Moses goes and he says, God, remember Abraham. Remember Genesis 12. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. God, be gracious to us and bless us. It's almost like he, representing the entire nation, is crying out to God, Lord, we don't deserve to be alive, but we are sustained by your grace. Continue to sustain your people. If we're ever going to experience God's blessing, we must grasp the very concept of God's grace. The very definition of grace is getting something you don't deserve, right? If you deserve something, then, then it's a wage. It's a paycheck. Like Romans 4.4 4 says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor. When you go to work tomorrow and you get your paycheck, this is not grace. They owe you a paycheck. That's what you earned. But God's grace is different. In God's economy, there's only one Outstanding wage, and that is the wage of sin. Like Romans 6 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. In order to receive what the psalmist is asking, in order to receive grace, we need to stop working. We need to stop doing things. We need to stop earning. Otherwise, you get a check, and there's only one kind of check that God gives us. Why do most people in the world work? Have you thought about that? And I don't mean work in the way that we will work tomorrow. Why are all religions works-based religions? Because of the pride of men. Somehow we have convinced ourselves that we can actually manipulate God and strong arm him to give us something in order to get some other form of payment. There's only one payment, and that is the wage of sin, is death. It will never happen. Christians, all of us, For the most part, I hope, who are gathered in this room, we realize, we repent of pride and we see God to be gracious to us because he is gracious. God, be gracious to us and bless us. The blessing comes in the form of God's grace. But how further is it expressed? Look at the second part of verse 1. And cause his face to shine upon us. And cause his face to shine upon us. God's grace is expressed in his loving and favorable presence. This expression in verse 1 goes back to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6 where God instructs the high priest to bless the people and he says, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his face on you and give you peace. The Lord lift up his face and give you peace. And hear the psalmist and saying, God, cause your face to shine upon us. To, to have God's face shining upon us is the very opposite of, how it, of having this angry or, or sulky expression. In Numbers The prayer in Numbers chapter 6 focuses specifically on Israel. Israel is going to get blessed by their high priest. Here, however, in Psalm 67, the focus is on God extending these blessings beyond Israel borders, beyond the nation, to all the peoples, to all the nations. And this second part, cause your face to shine upon us. It means to have his smile, to have God's favor. There's also a very small, minor nuance here between the two passages, and that is this. It is one little preposition. In Numbers, it literally means, uh, is written, cause your face to shine upon us, upon us, on us. But here in Psalm 67, this preposition is changed to be with us. In other words, God caused your face to be with us. Not just your face, your favorable outlook to shine on us, but we want you to be with us. We want your presence. Although both of them are translated exactly the same in our translations here. That is why a lot of commentators, when they look at Psalm 67 in verse 1, they interpret Psalm 67 verse 1 to be the coming of the Messiah to his people in order to manifest God to all the world. God's face would shine on his people in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the exact representation of God. Remember Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God be gracious to us and bless us and be with us with your favorable presence. So ultimately, God's grace here is expressed in sending Jesus Christ, and that's why he can forgive. That is why he can be gracious. That is why he forgave us. That is why ultimately in Exodus 32, when God forgave Israel, he forgave Israel with an outlook to the cross in Jesus Christ. Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise and the Abrahamic covenant. Because when you read like a verse in Galatians chapter 3, for instance, verse 7, 9, 29. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants heir according to promise. Galatians 13 chapter 3, 13, and 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham that was promised back then in Genesis chapter 12 might come to us. All of us here are Gentiles. All of us here are part of the peoples. We did not belong originally to that promise to Abraham, but through Abraham... God blessed all of us. And that is why you can be assured that he is still gracious to you today. God remains to be gracious because of Jesus Christ. If you look back to Numbers chapter 6 verse 27 in that high priestly prayer, in the very end, hear what God says. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I will bless them. The reason why he wanted you to hear this prayer and this blessing to be uttered is because God desires to bless us. God desired to bless his people. He desires to bless us. God, be gracious and be merciful to us. So I ask you this afternoon, are you seeking God's blessing? Are you actively pursuing? Are you actively praying for God to bless you? Are you seeking God's blessing on your children? Are you children? Are you seeking God's blessing on your parents? Are you praying that God would be merciful and gracious to you? For the adults and students here in this room who are non-Christian, here's God's promise for you. I will be gracious to you and I will bless you. Stop working. Stop earning. You can't earn. You can only earn one thing and trust me, you don't want it. Trust God because he is gracious. God has made a way to deal with your sin. Don't try to circumvent God's promise, God's process. God will be merciful and gracious if you simply ask him to be. If you simply realize that there's only one way. Look to Jesus and be saved god be gracious to us god bless us now is it important to ask the question why why should we pray this prayer why is the psalmist praying this prayer why should we see god's blessing and why does god desire to bless us can we just end it here call it a day go pray for his blessing and and be done Is man the end game of God's blessing or not? We ask to be blessed. We we get blessed. We take a selfie. We post it on Instagram and we sit back and we wait for all the comments and likes to come in and we just bask in that glory. And if we're not into social media, we, trust me, we have other ways to advertise ourselves. You can think of those. But is there a purpose behind God's blessing? When we come to this psalm, the psalmist absolutely thinks there is a purpose to God's blessing. Look at verse 2. That. Lord, we want your mercy. We want your grace. We want your blessing. Why? That. This is the purpose statement. The rest of this psalm here is the purpose clause. Why must we pray for God's blessing? So first point is we should see God's blessing because he desires to bless us. Here's point number two. Our own blessedness is never an end in itself. Our own blessedness is not the goal. What is it? The ultimate end is God's glory. The ultimate end of you and I being blessed and experiencing God's grace is his glory. God blesses us that we make, make his glory known across the globe to all the peoples, to all the nations. The psalmist is not asking to be blessed for his own sake. Bless me for me. Bless me because of me. God's people cannot be narcissistic. If you look at scripture from cover to cover, God reminds his people why he's good to them. Everywhere you look. God's blessing always accomplishes God's purpose. What is it? Well, we already looked at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. The basis of this psalm here, the Abrahamic covenant. And God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you so that all the nations will be blessed in you and that my name would be glorified. I know I'm taking you out of all these nations. And I know I will bless you. And forever they will remember the name Abraham. That's not the goal. That's not the end goal. The end goal is so that Abraham would be a blessing to all the other nations. And they would extol the name of Yahweh. So this nation multiplies. And they start bearing children. And they move to Egypt. And there's a huge nation there. And God says, I'm going to go. And I'm going to start working with this nation and he takes them out of Egypt and he millions of people they walk out right from Egypt and he brings them to the end of the Red Sea and they're stuck dead end nowhere to go and they start crying out it's like god what are you doing why did you bring us to this place in order to kill us or what in exodus 14:4 4, god brings his nation to the red sea And he says, listen, I will open up the Red Sea for you. Don't worry about it. Why? Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Why? Because I want my name to be extolled. I want to be glorified is what God is saying here. He brings them through the Red Sea. They, they go through 40 years of wandering, and then he brings them to the edge of the promised land. And there they are. They kind of look out, and they see Jericho. They see Jericho. And remember what happened to Jericho? God tells them, listen, um, go get all the, the mighty warriors. Go get your mighty army, right? And we're going to go, and we're going to conquer this city. That's not what God told him. You know what God told him? He says, Victor, hey, Victor, come get your musicians get them around and we're going to march around the wall and we're going to just trumpet around and we're going to sing and we're going to then shout and the walls will come down. That's a terrible military strategy, but it worked perfectly for God. Why? Because God is not about using men so that men get the glory. God is going to use us, but He ultimately will be glorified through everything. And what happened when the walls came down? The people did not go up to the musicians and said, Way to play, guys. No, what did they do? Our God is marvelous, our God is great. Let's go and conquer this city. Grab your sword because this is God and he's working right in the midst of our land. Remember First Kings. They go into the land. David, great king. Solomon is great. Have you ever wondered why Solomon's wisdom was so marvelous? Why he was the wisest man to walk this earth apart from Jesus? You ever wondered that? Well, we're... We're told here in 1 Kings. It's so that the pagan queen would give God glory. That's why. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, one of the greatest Old Testament passages, probably write it down and and go home and read it. It's a love story. God just, just pours out his guts. And he says, I love you, Jacob. I created you, Israel. And I did that for my glory, right? Verse seven says, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made, I did not make you for you. I made you for me. I made you for my glory. So the, the, the Israel, the nation and Judah, remember they, they disobeyed God. They completely forgot about their God. They started worshiping other idols and God says, listen, I think I'm done. I'm gonna send you out to the other nations. But then, even in the midst of all this ruin, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, listen, give them a promise. Give them, tell them that there is hope. In the midst of all this sin, in the midst of all this disobedience, you look around, you're in a completely different land. There is hope for you. And look what he says in 22 of 36. Just let's not get this wrong. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel. That I am about to act. But it is for my holy name. Which you have profaned among the nations which you went. I will vindicate my, the holiness of my great name. Which has been profaned among the nations. Which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the Lord God. When I will prove myself holy among you in their sight. You broke the covenant. But I will restore you. So that you may praise me. And so that the nations will see my grace for you. And likewise will praise the Almighty God. And guys, this is not just in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament. You see the Gospels. They open up with Jesus walking. And then Jesus lives. And then he dies. And then he resurrects. And then right before he ascends, he leaves a great commission. Almost in every single version of the gospel there's a great commission call. now you go because you have been graced because you have shown god showed you mercy you go and you proclaim this grace to all the nations to the ends of the earth Now, in the Old Testament, the the difference between the Old and the New, in the Old Testament, the nations were called to go into Jerusalem to behold God's glory. That's where God was. That's where the temple was. That's where his glory was. That's where everything good was in Jerusalem. You want to see God? You want to worship Yahweh? You come over here to Jerusalem. After the New Testament, once Christ says, came and he died and he resurrected and he ascended and he says, I am now the temple. We don't go to Jerusalem. God tells us, you now go out to the ends of the earth and you preach Christ God's glorious grace is not to be harbored it is to be spread that is why we have a promise in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where he says you will receive power for what so that you can be my witnesses so that you can grow and you can proclaim Jesus Christ to all the world it's not about me It's not about you. When God saves you, it's almost like he gives you a little poster and a little sign that says, no selfies allowed. It's all about God. It's all about his glory. It's a sin. It is a sin to separate God's blessing from his purposes. If all we're doing is just taking in God's blessing and we're not accomplishing his purposes, we are sinning. Our own blessedness is never an end in itself. Now, think about this. What is the difference between a reservoir and a river? A reservoir and a river. Reservoirs, they collect water. Rivers, they carry water. For the reservoirs to get more water, they must increase in capacity. For the rivers to get more water, they just need to pass what they have. When when we look at the reservoir we tend to highlight the features of a reservoir rather than water. We, we say things like, wow, look at the size of that thing, right? Because the water is stagnant. There's nothing marvelous about the water. But when we look at a river, we tend to highlight the features of the river or of the water, right? Oh, look at those rushing streams or, or oh, wow, the water is so cold in this river. Why am I saying that? Who do you most resemble? Who do I most resemble? Are we hoarding God's blessings like the reservoirs? And, and uh, we make it about ourselves. And we increase in our capacity. And say, look, I can take in more. And I can do more. And I can do this. And I can do that. And look at me how glorious and how large and how big I am. Or are we letting God's blessing flow through us so that those blessings can not only impact us and increase our joy in God, but that joy can spill over to other people and influence other people around us by pointing them to God. This is not me, this is all the Lord. Understanding God's ultimate goal, the psalmist here is praying for God to bless them so that they can be a blessing to others. Bracketed here by this repeated prayer in verse 3 and 5 is verse 4. Verse 4, and it affirms the worldwide gladness that can only come when the nations worship the sovereign God. Look what he says. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. And, and repeats the verse verbatim here in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, o God. Let the peoples praise you. What for? The nations must acknowledge God's sovereign rule. That's why he says here in the middle of verse 4, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness. This word judge doesn't necessarily mean that he will pass judgment on someone, but that he acts as a righteous king. He is sovereign Lord. He is sovereign rule. The nations must acknowledge the sovereignty of God's sovereign rule, and the nations must acknowledge the sovereign providence of God. Look at the end of verse 4. The And guides the nations on the earth. This word guide means to act like a shepherd. God has everything under control. There is no other God that competes with our God. There is no one like you. There's only one God. We were just singing about that earlier. And this is what God wanted all the world to know that your gods are puny, your gods can't accomplish everything. There's only one God. And check this out this God. Controls your idols, your plans, your nations. He controls everything in the world. You must acknowledge the sovereign rule and sovereign providence of God. God blesses us that we may tell the world about this God. God blesses us that, four things, that people may know God, that the nations may know God. Look at verse 2. That your way may be known. On the right side of the cross, we proclaim Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says, we proclaim him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. That's what we want to do. That's, that is our goal. That is our mission. That is why we are blessed is so that people may know Christ. So that people may know God through Christ. Not only should they know him, they must praise him. Let the peoples praise you. Verse 3, verse 5. To praise someone means to make a public confession of your knowledge. And to give thanks as a result. When you praise God, you're, you're saying, God, I know you. I know you. And I confess that I know you. And I thank you for revealing yourself to me. Not only that, verse 4 says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. We want people to know God. We want people to praise God. We want people to enjoy God. Enjoy God. To delight and be happy in God. To rejoice that your sins are forever dealt with. They're done. Enjoy Fellowship with this God through Jesus Christ. And finally, in verse 7. Bless, God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. To know God, to praise God, to enjoy God, and to fear God. To revere and to highly exalt God. The more we concern ourselves with the mission of bringing Christ to others. That they may know, that they may praise that they may enjoy, that they may fear God, the further we accomplish God's purposes. God's purpose in blessing you is not you necessarily. It influences you. It impacts you. God's love is revealed to you. He loves you. But don't become an end cap to God's blessing. We're supposed to pour it out and let God use us so that we can influence others. Look, that's not a, it's not a surprise, right? It's not a revelation to say that our satisfaction in God overflows towards others. Uh, praise by its very nature begs to be expressed and shared. If you have something, if you know someone, if you're doing something that's exciting and you think others will benefit, I'm willing to bet you call people around you. You come and you bring them together to your house and you share things with them. Why? Because you think that what you have can benefit them. That's exactly the point of the gospel. It benefits you, God saves you, God influences you, and then you start overflowing and you start sharing it with others. To the extent that we are satisfied with God ourselves, we will be spreading this passion around us. Our own blessedness is never an end in itself. The ultimate end is the glory of God. It is the spread of his fame. Now the psalm ends in much the same way. It begins, a plea for God to bless us that we may be a blessing to others. Look at verse 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. At the end, the focus here shifts from God's spiritual Blessing to his material blessing. It says God blessed our harvest in verse 6. Now the majority of this psalm, if you notice, it focuses on God and us being a spiritual blessing to the nations because spiritual blessing, the knowledge of the almighty God, is the most important. God desires to be known and to be worshipped by us and in all creation under heaven. Now, why is the focus here shifts to this physical or the material side? God's material blessings further the goals of the spiritual concerns for the nation. God's material blessings further the cause or the goals of being a spiritual blessing to others. In other words, Israel's physical blessing, material blessing translated into a spiritual blessing on the nations. He blessed the harvest that check this out. Same thing. The earth has yielded its produce. God blesses us. Bless us. God blesses us that again verse 7. He did this so that there is a purpose clause that all the ends of the earth may bless. God blesses us spiritually and physically and materially for the sake of the nations for the sake of the peoples. God does not bless you simply for a selfie. Sorry to break it to some of us, but that is not God's purpose. God's purpose is to magnify Jesus Christ in and through us. I think it's important for our church to assess ourselves today. Grace Hill, we are blessed. We are mightily blessed by God. We know Jesus Christ we know Christ not only that we are incredibly wealthy what are we doing with what God has given us are we going to the nations do we do we have a heart for other people to come to the saving knowledge of God God's purposes and 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 here's something that that I want to say we perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking you know what This is for for evangelists. I mean, we've been talking about sending Kirill on the mission field for the last 10 years. Man, bro, listen and go. That's probably what we're thinking, right? But God's purposes are not just for missionaries. They're not just for evangelists. They are for Christians. They will go, absolutely. Missionaries, evangelists, they will go. But God planned that all Christians would engage in furthering God's purposes. True, not everyone should go. You might never go anywhere. But have you considered this, that Sacramento is the 15th most culturally diverse city in America? Why? In God's sovereignty, he brought the nations to you. You don't even go anywhere. There are nations here that we proclaim the gospel to. We just need to simply be passionate for Christ and look around and start influencing others. Now, as I was studying for this psalm, I I thought about my own personal world, where God has me, where God has placed me. Many of you know I work at Truck site with a number of uh, people here from this congregation as well. Um... We employ close to 70 people there now, and we have over 12 different people groups, 12 different nations that are represented just at Truxay. So I'm thinking that before God ever sends us out somewhere, perhaps in the in the near future, God will send us somewhere and we will go and we will proclaim the gospel to other nations. But in the meantime, we have nations. In our offices. They're right there. We need to be about the business of spreading the glory of Jesus. You know, some of us are incredibly blessed materially. Have we asked, what for? The, the answer is the same. That we might make the glory known across the globe. It's a, it's a win-win situation. God is not asking us to lose something we have. God is giving us so that we may pass on and gain the joy of being blessed by gracious God and be a river of blessing to others. The Lord, the earth has yielded its produce because God blessed us. Now in the end here, I told you that Psalm, this Psalm is is rooted in the promises and the Abrahamic promises at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. Now check this out. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. You don't have to go there, just listen. And, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the hand of him who sat on the throne When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to God, and they will reign upon the earth. The very promise that was given to Abraham to be a blessing, not only to his people, but to all the peoples of the world, when we go to the very end, we see that this promise is fulfilled. Why? Because Christians are about God's glory. Because Christians are about doing God's business and carrying out the purposes of God so that they can sing and we can join this song in the future and say, you've purchased people from every tribe, tongue, people and nation. Now three things, three questions for us to reflect as we close. Are we praying for a blessing or are we praying to be a blessing? Think about that. Are we praying to be a reservoir or are we praying to be a river? Number two, what part are you playing in great redemptive drama to see God, that God is known, praised, enjoyed, and feared among the nations? What are you doing? What am I doing? Listen, it is arrogant to consider your salvation as the end game. It is arrogant and it is sinful to consider your salvation as the end game. And number three, for those of you who are sitting here and are worried about taking another selfie ever again, um, ask yourself this question, can our selfies be redeemed? Can we redeem our selfies? I think the answer is absolutely. If your self can be redeemed, most definitely your selfie should be also. Point to Jesus and impact the people around you so that God gets maximum glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for stirring our hearts. We thank you for reminding us about your purposes. Lord, you loved us, you sent your son to die for us, and through us now you're accomplishing your greater goals. Oh Lord, we enjoy having fellowship with you. We enjoy having this, uh, Lord, intimate time, even here this afternoon knowing that our sins are taken care of, that we are your people and that you hold us in your hand and no one will ever snatch us out of it. And Father, just, just this truth and this thought can at times make us so warm and so fuzzy and, and and so lazy. But in doing all of these things, you gave us your spirit not only to to work and not only to continue to overcome sin, Father, but you empowered us to speak and to preach. And you blessed us mightily, especially here in this country where, where, Lord, we earn a living and we can not only support ourselves, but we can support others who labor around the world so that your glories may be known. Sure, you could send an angel who would proclaim the gospel from heaven and you will do that in the future, but right now you tell us to go us who are weak us who are not noble but you do that in order for your name to be glorified in order that we would not boast in ourselves but boast in jesus oh lord help us to consider our ways personally help us to consider our way as a congregation how we can go further and impact people around us for your glory we pray help us not to be self-centered but christ-centered Amen.